In this episode, we interview Paul Gallegos of Cutbow Coffee in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Paul has been roasting coffee for over 30 years, and he shares with us the details and art of roasting coffee. Paul also describes the many varieties of coffee and the cultivation process and how it's similar in many respects to winemaking. To try out Paul's roast, head over to cutbowcoffee.com today and order online. You're listening to Sharing the Flavor, a show that connects you with flavor and how to create it. In this show, we connect you with recipes, cooking techniques, and show you a little bit of the science of cooking to help make you a successful cook so you can share flavor with your friends. I'm your host, Andy Gebby. In this episode, we discuss coffee roasting with Cuffo Coffee's Paul Gallegos. Roasting coffee is an art, and it imparts flavor before the barista ever makes the coffee drink. So join us for an educational and fun-filled discussion of coffee roasting. Paul, welcome to our comedy show. (laughs) (laughs) We're a comedy show that puts food in there somewhere, usually, but it's mostly about laughter. So today's show, we have a very special topic, which is very close to my heart, coffee. And we also have a very special guest with us. So we have Paul Gallegos here from Cutbow Coffee in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Welcome, Paul. How are you today? Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on, Andy, Vanessa, Giovanni. It's great to be here. We're very happy you're here, Paul. Yes. I see see Paul all the time, but I'm so happy to see you on here. (laughs) Always a pleasure. Well, and this this topic is to me, it's it's I, I love following coffee. You know, I love I love, you know, reading about the science of coffee, the art of coffee, all the different forms people do. So to me, this is a really neat topic, lots to talk about. So maybe, Paul, maybe let's start with some introductions. Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us how you got into uh, coffee and where you are today with the art of coffee. Yeah, I love the way you put that, the art of coffee. I definitely see it as such. And I've been in love and, and enamored with coffee since I was a, a small child. Um, some of my first childhood memories included coffee, having coffee with my grandmother, mostly milk. But she'd, she'd serve me a nice cup of coffee together and we would share it with toast or, or cookies. And it, it just, to me, it evoked just love and, and sharing um, family and friends. And it just, I've always felt something very special about coffee. So to find a way to make that my life's work was kind of a, st- a stroke of luck. Uh, I didn't have any intentions of becoming a coffee professional, but I grew up here in Albuquerque, probably not too far from where Vanessa grew up. And I moved to the Bay Area in California uh, as a young adult. I was about 21 or 22 when I moved to, to the Bay Area and found a job at a coffee roasting plant as a truck, uh, truck driver, delivery driver, forklift operator. And they had a, a kind of an open door policy in their cupping room, which is the part of the coffee roasting plant where the, the roasters taste coffee. And so as an employee there, I was able to go inside the cupping room and learn about coffee and showed a little bit of interest in it and then became a coffee roaster shortly thereafter and have been doing uh, roasting coffee for the last 30 years or so. And, and it, it's such like you mentioned Andy, that it was an art, and it definitely, it definitely is because I'm still, I'm still learning the art, and it's something that you practice, um, and you hopefully get proficient after uh, repetition. But it, it really is a continuous kind of journey to to per- find perfection in that art. So I've been doing it for about thirty years now, a little over thirty years. Wow, I can imagine. So, uh, do you want to tell uh, people where the specific roaster you were working for? Yes, it was at Pete's Coffee in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is widely considered the, the, the grandfather. Alfred Pete is considered the grandfather of the specialty coffee movement in, in the United States. Um, he was a Dutch immigrant. He grew up uh, in Holland and he worked, uh, he escaped the Nazis in, in, in at the end of, or, uh, during World War II. His father was a, a coffee uh, roaster in Holland, so he grew up around coffee but became a tea trader 
and he moved to the United States and settled in San Francisco, where he started working in, in a tea shop or a tea uh, importer, actually. And he discovered that, in his words, the, the most the, the richest country in the world was drinking the lousiest coffee. One hundred and ten percent agree with yes, that. Yes, yes, yes. Thank yes. goodness for Pete. Yes. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. And furthermore, true. <laughs> so this was about 1966 when he opened a shop in Berkeley um, across the bay. Uh, right at the time when so many revolutionary things were happening uh, culturally, uh, the, the free speech movement was was going on. The anti-war sentiment was happening. So there was a lot of change and revolution happening in Berkeley, just coinciding with this food revolution that Alfred Pete very much helped to usher in. Um, right down the street from the original Pete's was uh, Chez Panisse, Alice Waters' um, seminal California farm-to-table organic fresh uh, uh, farm-to-table cuisine that started a whole revolution in the culinary scene in, in America. And then think about that. That was in the 60s. Yep. Yes. Right? She's yeah. and, we're, and we're still talking about farm to table now. right? Yeah. yeah. She's, Alice Waters is I've, I read recently she's considered the mother of the slow food movement here in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So she started her shop right at the same time there around the time that Alfred Pete started um, the coffee revolution. So he started importing uh, specialty grade coffees which uh, prior to that, Americans were drinking commodity-grade coffees, which are lower quality, cheaper, uh, lower-grown coffees. So he introduced the kind of gourmet sentiment to the, to the coffee-drinking public. And it took off uh, almost immediately in Berkeley, caught the attention of three students who were going to school in San Francisco who would drive across the bay and have coffee and were really, really inspired by Alfred Pete's model and got to thinking over coffee one day, we should take this back to Seattle where one of them was from and we'll start our own coffee company there and, and we'll mm. take Alfred Pete to sell them his roasted coffee and they would truck it to Seattle and they sold it under the moniker Starbucks. And of oh, course, I've never I heard never of knew that, have guys, really. Have you heard of Starbucks? I never, I never heard that story. That is I a fascinating known. story, I love it. <laughs> yeah, so he, he uh, Alfred Pete, was kind of the mentor to these three gentlemen, one of them who was uh, Jerry Baldwin, one of the founders, who um, when Starbucks started to become uh, big, um, Howard Schultz came into Starbucks and wanted to go global. He had been to Italy and saw the, the, the espresso um, cafe there and, and wanted to make that the model of Starbucks. But Jerry was kind of more modeled after Alfred Pete's shop, which was mostly just a, a whole bean purveyor. He sold whole bean coffees, didn't have an espresso machine in his shop. He sold tea and spices. Some of the best spices that were yeah. that are available were, were under were found at Pete's Coffee at that time. Uh, still imports the, the best telecherry black peppercorns and 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 saffron and mm. all these wonderful spices. Oh, neat. I never knew that. That is really neat. Yeah. So Jerry had the opportunity to move back to the Bay Area and purchase Pete's when Alfred had retired right around the same time that Howard Schultz wanted to go global with Starbucks. So Jerry was very quality conscious and saw kind of the, 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 the double-edged sword of being a global uh, institution like Starbucks has become. He knew that there, there was no way to scale it in, in that way and then still maintain quality. So he was very quality driven and quality conscious. And, and when I started at Pete's, Jerry was, Jerry was the the, uh, the president of Pete's at that time in 1989, and uh, Alfred Pete was still he had retired, but he was still kind of a consultant, and he would come in once or twice a week and and taste coffee with the roasters. So I learned a lot from Alfred Pete as well as uh, as Jerry uh, from from Starbucks, and and he I always re really uh, admired him because he could have been king of the coffee world really and at starbucks but he chose kind of to remain you know keep his integrity by by quality by focusing on quality very neat very neat so so did he did he stay with pete's as a result or what did he wind up doing yeah jerry he's still he's still on the board uh but he's kind of semi-retired he he has a little 
a vineyard in, in Sonoma, and he just he's just <laughs> yeah. that's that, that's the life. Right that, 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 that's that's forgive me. Oh, that is a marvelous, in my that's opinion, a... marvelous story. Also, to me, Ellen Kishard well demonstrating what maybe simply a cultural or generational change, but I think it's rather important. One is much more human, and that is based on finance. Right. Yeah. And so many of the the the, the details that that makes a, a, a coffee shop special, I learned from from Jerry and from Alfred himself. And in fact, one of the small details that we practice at Cutbow is we listen to classical music in the morning, uh, usually till around eleven or so a.m. And and it drives the baristas crazy because they want to rock out. <laughs> That's so funny. You have the roasters at the back that are going through their, their orchestral method, right? Yeah. And then you have the baristas that want to play like EDM in the front. And yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. So funny. yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much a, a very distinct dichotomy there. But, you know, it's something that I that I learned from Jerry and, and Alfred who, to just make create an atmosphere in a coffee shop where where it's inviting and, and welcoming and warm and a little bit elegant. And I, I, I think that's missing a lot in, in, in some of the shops. I don't want to talk disparagingly about any part of the industry because it's, it's, it's a wonderful <laughs> industry to be in. But there's a level of, of, of I don't know how would I put it? I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to say anything negative about anybody. Well, I, I would. I would say that there. I mean, it's a. It's a I'll do it for you if you'd like. <laughs> well, no. I mean, and he I will. would say it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a very diverse industry, right? And you yes. have people that are doing volume in the industry, and they do it well, right? It's like it's like almost like. Okay, I'll, I'll draw well. a comparison to. I'll draw a comparison to manufacturing processes and cars, right? There's people that do this at a, a voluminous scale. And there's other people that do more artisanal things and they're, they're craftspeople. Right. And they, and they, and they, and they just, they, they're so meticulous about every little nuance, every little detail, because they want it to be just right. And, and I think coffee provides both. Honestly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And there's, you can, there's something for everyone. You know, if you want a really casual fast cup at, at, at a place that has a bunch of sugar and, and sweeteners in it, you can find that. And there's a, there's a market for that. And that's, that's fine. That's perfectly okay. But it's also okay to focus on the on the the nuanced details of, of quality coffee at its pure form. Yes. You know, one of the I don't know if you wanted to touch on this, Andy, but you mentioned um, uh, some of the trends in coffee. Yes, I do want to speak about that. And this is already a fantastic show. I mean, just I'm, I know, right? We're I told you to we were talking about you, Paul, and how fabulous you are. I told them yeah. how great you are. I was like, he is the coolest barista you're ever going to want to meet. So that that backstory on Pizza Starbucks Hoffman. was like out of the park. I know, so. right? Yeah, it was. He's cooler than James completely. Hoffman. So, so yeah, we're fans. We're fans of James <laughs> Hoffman. James Hoffman should be a fan of you, Paul. Just so. oh, that's too kind. I of you. agree. <laughs> I agree. It's funny because it's easy to nerd out. On, and geek out on coffee and, and someone like, like James is so well read and, 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 and eloquent, you know, I, I admire that about him because I'm kind of stuck as a, as a coffee roaster. And, and that's a little bit, a little more isolated than being a barista. The baristas are kind of the rock stars of the, of the shop, right? I think that's you're the, being very modest. I think you're being quite modest. I mean, you, I, you, I really have, you have a little cult following in Albuquerque. Uh, trust me on this. So, you know, right. no. Don't be so modest. Well, my mom teases me. She says that um, that I'm that I'm too proud of my humility. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> that is a great quote. You know what? I don't think any of us here Are you have Cuban? that problem at all. So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's a great quote. <laughs> Paul, well, I wanted I, to I, ask you. You had talked about. Sorry. Starting, you had talked about starting with Pete's at sort of at the same time, or that Pete started around the same time as the slow food movement. I mean, you know that this podcast does focus mainly on food. Have you ever had any experience with incorporating any of your coffee into recipes or food? Wow, great question. Other than a, a tiramisu, or I've uh, used, do you remember uh, Bruce Adele's? He was a, a yeah. sausage guy yeah he came into the roasting plant once and 
and shared a recipe with us that he used coffee to marinate short ribs. Mm-hmm. And it was, so I have that recipe. Somewhere that sense, else. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, my new, my new best friend, Paul, are you going to share it with me? <laughs> hey, you know coffee what? I will cook it for you. How about that? I'll cook it okay. for you. Yes. Deal. Okay. Yeah. I had made a recipe once a few years ago with uh, it was a coffee rub on steak and it was out of this world. So that was kind of why I thought about asking you. I've tried a coffee rub on a steak and it was horrible. I just burnt the coffee on the, I made a, a, okay. just a, a, a awful crust on it. So maybe I did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we, I mean, we've talked a bit about like, you know, the, the, the background with Pete's and, you know, the, and I love the story with, with, with Starbucks. The thing I find, find is interesting is, I mean, it's, I, even in this area, so I'm, I'm in the Midwest, right? What I love is the fact is I, I'm, is I love the the proliferation of these kind of what I would almost call coffee art houses, right? And coffee art houses um, were actually big in this area in the, I mean, Giovanni and I experienced this in the 80s and the 90s, right? It kind of, and then it kind of, some of them went away. It was kind of sad to see some of the coffee houses go away, but now they're they're on their way back, right? So it feels very cyclical, but and even in especially around the universities and such, you see all these wonderful little coffee unique things pop up, and it's just a delight to see. Because to me, yeah. it's it's a it's a form of like almost like Vanessa's saying, it's kind of like our our tea or in our artisanal cooking. Yeah, it's a, it's a form of that, but for coffee. Definitely in in Albuquerque, in particular, there's a big brewery scene here. A lot of uh, you know microbreweries and and. And the, the brew scene is really well established. And the coffee scene here is kind of on the coattails of that because it's a similar aesthetic and a similar um, customer. They're, 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 they have an appreciation for the, that kind of uh, artisanal approach that you're talking about. And, and I think it, it, it does us really, it serves us well to have an industry like the brewery scene here or the, or the culinary scene in general that people are, are more appreciative of that kind of mm-hmm. preparation you know it's not it's not an applebee's where everything's frozen you know it, it's right. it, it might take yeah. a while and it's a little more expensive but it's definitely worth it and i think well, i think they care about the ingredients they care about you know the 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 end product so they're willing to wait right and they're willing to pay for the end product and you see a lot of the similar aesthetic, like what Paul was talking about with how his coffee shop is designed. You know, it's very homey. It's very inviting. The colors are soothing. The music is lovely. He has a uh, beautiful art on the walls. But Paul, what I love about your coffee shop, and you can see the the color, you know, in the background where Paul is. But what I love about Paul is that he not only just has art and and plants and things like that. He has things that are are part of his his memory and his history. His father, you and your father love to fish and that's where the name Cutbo came from, right? So you see a lot of family memories around Cutbo and it really is just the most pleasant and and lovely place to spend some time. But I've noticed that, you know, talking about the breweries, a lot of these um, more artisanal breweries tend to have that same aesthetic. You'll see things that are are very beautiful and very unique, but that are also very personal. And I think that's where people respond to it. They, they sense mm-hmm. that that's history and that that personal connection to it. And particularly, I think with us New Mexicans, and I think particularly within our Hispanic culture, Paul, we are very much defined by that connection to our history and our past, wouldn't you say? Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for, for noting that for sure. Especially yeah, in New Mexico, people are so proud to be from here, you know, the, how many Zia tattoos do you see? People are Not right. very, very <laughs> so it's kind of a good way to kind of tap into that, to that kind of a home, mm-hmm. that pride of, of sense of, 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 of self, you know, the, mm-hmm. and pride of the, 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 the land that we're on, you know, yes. so that's really resonated with people that, that we have the, the kind of New Mexican feel, you know, people, people are attracted to that for sure. Andy and Giovanni, you need to come to Albuquerque. I've been telling you for, for no other reason that you need to come and have coffee at Cut Bow. Yes. With Paul and I. Absolutely. I mean, well, actually, I, you, well, you and Paul should actually make a trip to, I'm sure you both have, but certain, pla- certain places in Italy. It'd be better if it were 30 years ago, but it's still possible to find. Paul, do you want to go uh, to Milan? Marvelous things. Oh, yes. We can go hang it. out with Giovanni. <laughs> no, 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 no. You might be going a little south. <laughs> you know, Milan. No, not south, actually. The the best coffee in Italy, as far as the quality 
on a consistent basis, it remains nearby Trieste, which is the so, sort of founding so, place of it. So yeah, tell us about Trieste? that, Giovanni. Trieste. No, no, oh, Trieste. Trieste Empire. Uh, that's where the deep water port, and that's where, uh, you know, Sissy, Sissy's husband, I'm sorry. <laughs> Sissy was, a, was, a, was a, a noted queen who was very attentive to her figure. And a little bit crazy, <laughs> but in, in movies, in movies, she's great, and she's great, and had a marvelous Bavarian actress. Rest well, in, peace. Uh, in Trieste, you have the best, and you also have the best two roasters. So I'm sure, uh, large-scale roasters, uh, which I'm sure he knows. They're both in the same family. They were cousins. One is Italy, and the other is yeah. Hausbrandt. And they're, in my opinion, as far as large-scale, they're the best two. But what I'm sure he knows, and he got, is what's said in Italy, is that the opposite has kind of occurred. Whereas before you had many roasters, and uh, a question later for Paul, this is the quality of trying to find quality beans today, is it harder than before? Um, uh, and you had all these different things. And in fact, my favorite individual cup of coffee I had was from this dude nearby. It was great. He was kind of like a version of Paul, but a little bit more sedate and with this chocolatey voice. And he had a coffee shop, a small roaster, coffee shop, candy high quality stuff and he said because we talked a lot because we have a lot of uh, i'm attentive to taste and he said i'll give you this one he just made a small chunk and it was a mix i think 85 15 or arabic and robusta of a specific bean and he explained it to me and i brought some home with me and made it with a mocha and good grief i had it in the bar too and good grief the problem with that is that I've never had it again <laughs> because yeah. it's a one-time shot, but that's yeah. been been disappearing here. What I wanted to ask Paul is that question before over the years, has it become harder now to become to find good beans? Absolutely. Very, very much for, for a lot of different factors. Uh, there's so many more um, customers for, for green beans, roasters, both large and small scale, the large scale corporations, Starbucks, Pete's, uh, Green Mountain, have bought, they buy uh, huge amounts of, of the mm -hmm. green coffee of quality, and it leaves little for the the smaller the smaller. That's what I was thinking. Thank and you. Yeah, drive, the, the price has gone up considerably, and there are other factors which have led to the increased prices, uh, which is a good thing uh, because of the fact that the the better prices are making the lives. Um, better for the growers of coffee who have long been um, treated yeah. unfairly and, and exploited by, by, the, by the industry for, for years. Traditionally, the, the Dutch uh, merchants controlled the coffee trade and that developed into you know, the colonialism that happened all along the way. And it's, it's a very kind of, the, the, kind of the, the bloody underbelly of the industry that people like to turn a blind eye to because it's been it's it's been horrific traditionally the 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 people who have grown the coffee and, and worked in in those fields um have seen pennies on the dollar in a in, in the largest the second largest commodity on the yeah. planet uh only oil is bought and sold on a higher grade than, than coffee is and <clears throat> so uh more recently the coffee prices have have increased which has led to a lot of better conditions for the people who are growing it. So it's kind of a, kind of a, a, the two sides of the coin there. We're happy to pay. I'm happy to pay a premium price. If I know that, that, um, it, that, that the, the growers are going to see some of that, some of that profit, yeah. but it, it has increased everything else on, on our side of the, of the equation. So we have to increase. Yeah, have to, that makes right. sense. But There's you provide also... quality, though, and I think that ties in with why people are willing to pay for it, because it isn't just a matter of you provide quality coffee, you provide a quality experience. Like I was saying before, your coffee shop is is very nice, your staff are lovely, the environment is beautiful, um, it's, it, it, it kind of addresses all of the senses, so, you know, people who are, who are willing to pay a little extra are also paying for that experience, not just the coffee. Yeah, and that's. Um, thank you for for saying that because it, mm -hmm. it's something that we have to strive to provide. You know, it, yeah. it's not easy. You have to make an effort to provide that experience for customers at an elevated level because there's so many options. People can go any 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 city in, in America or in the world, rather. You can go and, and find really good coffee. You have options, so people can 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 spend their money wherever 
wherever they would like. So we, we have to make that uh, an appealing, we have to draw the people in and, and keep customers in. So it's part of the, part of the equation for sure. Yeah. yeah. That makes Where sense. Where do you source your beans, Paul, if you don't mind us asking? Not at all. Coffee grows, well, it can grow anywhere. It's a very, very hardy plant. I don't know, Vanessa, if you've seen the coffee tree we have on our counter here. I didn't know that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a plant. <laughs> I'm Did not a plant grow? person. <laughs> it grows best for quality around the equator in three okay, main, that makes sense. main growing regions. Latin America, which includes Central and South America, parts of the Caribbean, Hawaii, um, East Africa, Kenya yeah. and Ethiopia, Rwanda, Burundi, uh, Cameroon, some other countries in, in the African region and yeah. and uh, Indonesia. So yeah. around, they, they call it the bean belt. It's between the tropics of Cancer and Capricorn. Yeah. And uh, so the, the countries that we procure from uh, are from two countries in each of the three growing regions. Okay. So I have coffee from Colum uh, Costa Rica and Guatemala in the American region and from uh, Ethiopia and Kenya in Africa and Indonesia, we have a Sumatran and a New Guinea coffee. Yeah, yeah. So in those six single origins, there's a whole variance of flavors. Yeah. So you can I was, find- I was just gonna ask about that because I mean, essentially coffee, they're plants, right? So they're gonna, they're gonna take on characteristics even before you roast them. Yes, it's very fascinating. We use the, the wine term uh, terroir to, to um, to find the, the, the best characteristics from each of the coffees. So a coffee that grows in, in Guatemala, in Antigua, the same variety of coffee will taste different than a coffee grown in Ethiopia or in, in, in Papua New Guinea because of the growing conditions there. So it's really, really fascinating. And it, but it makes it difficult, um, Giovanni asked about the difficulty in, in finding coffee. It's more and more difficult to find coffee of quality um, there's there's a there's a lot of coffee available, but to procure it carefully so that it has those terroir aspects and it has the the, the characteristics that you're looking for in a, in a Guatemala versus a, a, a Papua New Guinea, uh, it, it it's like a needle in a haystack. Really, you really have to be careful and 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 diligent in in finding quality green coffees, which is a whole aspect of coffee roasting that is ongoing, and it's it just. We're always looking for the next green coffee and you have to kind of think six months this, or a year ahead. I mean, uh, this may not be a fair com you know, comparison, but is it almost like winemaking where you have to really understand the grape and really understand the soil that's coming from in the farm that's right. making it and you really yes. have to follow it, right? Yes, yes, for sure. And the, the, one of the reasons that I, that I carry um, specifically the, the six single origins that I mentioned is because in my in my experience the 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 quality uh, year in and year out is pretty consistent in Costa Rica or Guatemala as opposed to like Peru which has delicious coffees one year and then the next year it might be a little suspect so it, it because it's an agricultural product the the fluctuations are tremendous in in weather and other conditions that that really affect the, the quality of the coffee I bet that makes sense. And I'm just wondering, uh, it was explained to me once that one reason why it's become difficult, aside from the Starbucks eating a whole bunch of high quality coffee to make cherry mochaccinos with soy milk. <laughs> so, so, there, um, so there, is, there is a running joke. No, no. Go ahead, Jibai. Well, just really, really quick, Annie, is that because in Italy it's happened too, by the way, people think in Italy, the, the, the coffee you get in the supermarket, now most people, it really sucks. In fact, if Paul be shocked because the price, since now growers can make more than enough not investing in the quality, they can say, hey, I'm just going to sell this crap. I don't have to spend any money. It's a no risk deal for me. Yeah. And mm -hmm. even Italy, who used to, Italy kind of copy the French wine model where they would, look, you do this, 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 and this, and we'll pay you that later, which the French started with, with grapes. Um, the thing is, even the price Italy was paying isn't <laughs> that good either. So the in Italy now, you, you you have to be careful. Not Santostacchio is not that frequent. Santostacchio is is the forgive me, Paul. I've not tasted your coffee, but it consistently is the best coffee in the world. Particularly if Marcello's on the machine making it for you. Nice. Where is this? Oh no, I'm sorry. You don't know, Santostacchio. I'm sorry. Santostacchio is kind of a legendary, but it it's worthwhile. God, I hope you go next time. Go. It's a marvelous place. 
Vanessa should go as well. It's mythological, but it's merit, merit, merits the, the myth. Well, I went next my next trip to Italy. That's where I'll be. Yeah. In many places, there you go. for yeah. sure. And that's funny that you say that, Giovanni. Not funny, but interesting because I'm sure that the, the, the crap coffee that you're referring to in Europe is probably better than a lot of the coffee here in America. So I'll take the crap European coffee yeah, right. anytime. No, seriously, when I was in Spain, yeah. that's, I mean, I had a, I was, I lived in Spain for a year and I had some of the best coffee I've ever had in my entire life. And it was instant coffee. I mean, we're talking like fabulous instant coffee. And then when I was in Italy, um, when we were, we had rented a car, so we were driving around and every morning we'd stop at the, the, one of these little gas stations on the side of the, of the, of the interstate or whatever you call, I forget what you call it in Italy. And yeah, and then you'd go to these counters and, and you'd have the best coffee and they'd serve it to you in these lovely little, you know, porcelain cups and saucers. And it was fabulous. And you think to yourself like, God, you know, you go to like a place like a 7-Eleven or an Allsup's or whatever convenience store and they have that horrible coffee in paper cups and you're like, it's like drinking brown dishwater. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I'm sure you're right, Giovanni, but I'll take I'll take the shit coffee in Europe over some of the some of the shit coffee in America any day. Well, they're different concepts. One, I mean, yeah. the notion of bringing your coffee with you on the big styrofoam cup is you're basically bringing mom or or like a, a, a like a dog or something with you, and you carry it around, and you sort of like 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 ice cream kind of thing, and sip, which is cool, which is perfectly fine. Except that in other places, uh, like in France, it has to come in a nice big thing, and you have it. Cafe with a with a nice buttery thing, and instead in Italy it's uh, often smaller or with well done milk. Why is it? It's so hard to find. Forgive me, people in the US do not know freaking how to steam freaking milk. Sorry. Um, you need to go to Cabo Coffee, Giovanni. I'm telling yeah. you, worth the trip. No, worth it, the trip it, back to America. I'm but, telling you. But. But no, but as Paul was saying, actually in Italy, still there is, it's not really you go to the place, there's no such thing as chain. They try, it doesn't work. Because you know the name of the barista, and you go, hey, Paul, how you doing? He's like, you see the game yesterday. And you stay there for those essential 10 minutes. And every bar is different. And like in a place here, you'll have the bar where you have the guys come and they will have horrible coffee, but they will have the best looking young women. Yeah. Making it. <laughs> Plus, they'll come back later for the beer, which is why they hire the best-looking <laughs> women. And instead, on the other side, you get people like me. And was this? You get this. Uh, Rocco was again this one guy who had a huge man with a bald head, and he would uh, do. Remember when coffee makers you had to do it yourself with the, th and you yeah, walk in and it's like a, like a show. Even if the coffee wasn't always good, it was always great. I'm sorry, I'll shut up. Well, but, that, but that's that's the whole thing. Is I mean, it's it, in fact, I do. I'll I'll try to put this uh, link in the show because we were talking about uh, James Hoffman a little bit. There was a very funny thing that where James Hoffman took a vintage espresso lever machine, like you were talking about, Giovanni, and he hooked it up with all this electronic gear. Only James Hoffman can pull that yeah. off, right? Oh, where he where he slutted he's, it he's, up. He's, huh? he's like. Damn oh, he, he, no, it was, it was kind of like watching Mythbusters, right? Where they totally tech out everything they do. And he's taking something as beautiful as a lever machine and he's calculating the bars and all that kind of stuff of like how much pressure is going through. And, two, two, and, that why just, and that's why it just don't work. That's why his name is Hoffman. It's not Hoffini. <laughs> because exactly. Rocco has been doing that he for 40 freaking years. He knows the scent of the coffee. He knows uh, yeah. it's not, it's, it's, it's humid today. It's not humid today. This exactly. bean is this way. Yeah. This roast is too much. And so he's going to make the small adjustments. And you can only do that with artisan thing. That's dying in Italy because now the Germans think you can just point and, and, sh and, and point on a button. And it's really complex stuff. What Paul does is as infinite as studying neuroscience, basically. It's that much infinity in what you do. And to learn everything, it's impossible to... to, to... AI is funny, but it ain't going to make repeating Santo Stacchio coffee. Gonna make, and it's even... not going to make you good coffee. Yeah, you can't make coffee. And sure. it also yeah. can't tell a joke. So I wanted AI, to ask, I... Paul, you had talked about earlier, both you and Andy had mentioned coffee and mentioned, called it an art. And um, I mean, would you also... Obviously, there's a science to it as well. What do you find more compelling about coffee, the art of coffee? Would you find the science compelling or the art of it, or is it both? It's a little bit of both, but mostly from, from my perspective, it's, it's, it's more of an art, but it's, it's, I like to call it a dark art that's illuminated, illuminated by science, because there's a lot of, since the dawn of the technological era in the last 30 years, I mean, I'm still a, a kind of a, novice as you could tell by my the way i struggled trying to get the zoom meeting going but there's a lot of um 
of software available to roasters to learn to roast and to learn to um, uh, replicate a roast from one to the next. And I've always had trouble kind of accepting that that approach because a, a coffee will roast differently depending on like what Giovanna is talking about, the, the, the temperature of the day or the, the humidity, or there's, there's so many factors that lead into to a, a roast profile. When we, when I roast a coffee, it's going to roast differently than that same coffee roasted the last time I roasted it because the coffee has changed. I'm, I'm storing it in the worst possible condition to store <laughs> coffee in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is the worst possible, the worst place on earth basically to store green raw coffee is in the climate that we have here in Albuquerque. So because of that fact, I have to adjust the, the approach to the roast the next the successive times I roast it. So it's not going to be the exact same roast approach every single time, even though the, the cup quality might be consistent. And that's the goal for me is to make the cup quality consistent, even though I'm not roasting it the exact same way time after time. So this data software that exists today makes it possible to theoretically to replicate a roast, a coffee roast pr progression, because you're, you're, you're timing temperature versus time. And it's a graph that you can see and it's, it's all very concrete. And so the data exists to justifiably say that you can roast the same way in succession, but it's, it's, not, it's not possible because the, 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 the coffee is changing every yeah. time you roast it, if that makes sense. So, so, so maybe it, to help us with that, sense. Paul, because I, I agree with you, is I mean, it's kind of, we've talked in, in this show about like subtle things about climate affecting how you make food, right? And, and, and thinking about when you roast coffee, can you describe to people how, how does the roasting process work and how does it affect coffee flavor? Because there's different types of roasting you can do. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Andy. There's, there's ways that, um, well, I never like to use the term light, medium, or dark, which is the most kind of identifiable way to to um, to describe the, the the depth of the coffee, the the level of coffee roasting, or the roast level. So most people will say, "Yeah, I like a light roast, or I like a dark roast, or I like a medium roast." But to me, it's it's all about a, a caramelization of the sugars, which occur at a certain temperature in the in the roasting machine. The roasting machine that we use is a drum roaster, and it's a beautiful machine uh, based on a design from the late 1800s in Germany. Uh, one thing the Germans got right, Giovanni, is their mechanical oh, prowess. Their consistency. <laughs> yeah. That's why they can be dumb and Italians if they have to be smarter. <laughs> they don't look quite like Rocco, but they, they, can, they can build a machine. Um, so this, this, this uh, roasting machine apparatus was perfected in the, in the Industrial Revolution in Europe. And it's a similar uh, uh, machines are being produced today. So that's like the one we have is a drum roaster with a, uh, a cast iron faceplate, which is the best. It's like your favorite cast iron pan, right? It's a big, thick faceplate, which conducts heat perfectly. So that's the, that's one of the major features of, of our roaster or ones like it that make it optimal for, for coffee roasting. So it's a, it's a drum, a, a circular a rotating drum, like a, like a clothes dryer, I guess is the best way to describe it. And it rotates over a bank of gas uh, uh, burners, which heat the steel drum as it turns. The coffee mass is inside of the, the cylinder, and it's hitting against the cast iron faceplate. And there's a little uh, porthole in the in the in the front of the cast iron faceplate with a trier, where the roaster, the person roasting, will pull the trier out and monitor the the, the roast progression by smelling, listening. Uh, watching it's a very symbiotic uh, relationship between the, the person roasting and the coffee and the machine because it's so there's clues that that are that can be monitored uh, the coffee will as as it starts to develop the complex polysaccharides in the raw coffee will start to turn to starches which will start to caramelize and turn into sugars the gases inside will start to escape the the, the or rather the the moisture in the in the inside the bean will start to expand and escape and and produce this auditory popping sound known as the first pop first crack yep kind of like popcorn where the, the bean will start to expand and make this this auditory this uh, the sound that you can hear and that's a very important part of the roasting um, progression because 
the coffee at this point is becoming exothermic rather than being having the heat being applied to it, it is get, it, it, emitting its own heat. So it's really a critical part of the, of the roast progression. So the roaster will turn the heat down and it's kind of like a gas stove where it's, uh, where you can bring it up to boil and then you can turn it down to a simmer. Mm-hmm. When the beans become exothermic at that point, you kind of turn the heat down. So it's, it's more of a simmer at that point. And so we just watch for the, the sugars to caramelize fully. And, and that means that the, 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 the flavor is developing to the, to its best degree. So you can roast to a light degree in that way and, and, and stop the roast right around the first pop, or you can uh, develop the sugars a little bit further, which I like to do and get a nice full development of the sugars. And you can roast it further than that. And that'll produce a dark roast. So one thing that you look for in a dark roast is the oils on the surface of the bean will start to come to the surface. So that's another visual clue that our roasters can use. So we use, uh, it's very sensory, sensory uh, approach. You know, you're listening and you're, you're watching and smelling and there's a lot of sensor senses involved. I had read read about the two pops, right? There's there's this critical timing, right? Where you, you wait for the first pop and you could either stop or you're waiting for the second pop. And they talk about time is of the essence, right? Around the second pop because you're close to burning it. Is that true? That's absolutely true. Yeah. And at Pete's, we used to roast past the second pop and it was a, it's volatile at that point. You can, if you're not really careful and you haven't turned that heat down to simmer, like I was saying, the, it would just over accelerate and it would just take off and it would ignite inside the roaster and the, the whole the floor would shake with the percussion of the, the combustion. It's kind of a scary. <laughs> in, in the, in the I never knew coffee making was so potentially dangerous. <laughs> it's like race car driving. I know, right? Oh God, oh God, don't talk. Don't say that in front of these two. God. Oh, no. We're going to have a discussion about race cars the... now. By no means. I was thinking more like where I in Albuquerque, I would offer to uh, to, to, to make large bats of, of um, carbonara and anything else you want for lunch just to spend a, a day watching you guys do your job and oh, learning from yeah. it. That just sounds marvelous to look at. I had one dumb question. Uh, the potential differences between using gas and wood mm-hmm. to heat. There's a place in Oakland that roasts with oak, oak wood. Oh, wow. Roast, Neat. The original roasters were coal-fired. So I've never experienced uh, working on one of those. I, I, don't, I, I assume it would be really difficult to maintain or to monitor the heat level with, with wood. But it's not impossible, and it's still being done in this modern day. In, in, in Trieste, they still use a lot of, of wood. This is, you know, German machines, yeah. <laughs> Italian and Austrian wood. And, and, and I don't and people who know what the hell they're doing. Um, using it. Just wondering if there's a difference because in pizza now they're doing the same switch to, to, to gas from, from wood. Yeah, I have roasted on electronically uh, controlled uh, infrared burners. There's a there's a drum machine that uses an Whoa. infrared burner. What was that like? That would be oh man, it, I didn't like it. It was like the like uh, going from a, a electric stove to a gas stove or, or from a gas stove <laughs> to electric stove. Yeah, I prefer That's a gas a stove. Yeah. As foodies, you probably would oh, prefer yeah. that still also, right? Yeah, for sure. We had a long so, discussion about this a while back, too. Oh, we had a very long discussion about <laughs> that. Yes, in New York City and the, the inevitable trade of, hey, you got some gas? I got some gas. You got some gas? I got some gas. <laughs> Sorry. Foodies need to protect each other. We need to yeah. cook with gas. That's right. We've got to have each other's backs, man. Yeah. Guys, <laughs> I do live in Italy. How the hell are you going to make a manticata the pasta without gas? You cannot. Exactly. <laughs> So, so Paul, I got another question for you. It's about espresso. So as a roaster, are you, are you roasting an espresso roast or do you just roast coffee and espresso is just made? Great question. Kind of both. Okay. We have a, we have an espresso blend. So we have a a coffee that we roast specifically for espresso. It also happens to be delicious on a drip or a French press or pour over a brew method, any brew method, there are some coffees that that handle espresso better and some levels of roast that are more 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 uh, uh, equitable for the espresso um, brew that that high pressure quick uh, brew method of the espresso um, there's a, a a notion that a lighter coffee is not particularly um, uh, 
palatable in espresso, and I, I tend to agree with that. I think if it's a little bit if it's a little bit darker, it has a little a little better flavor. But there is also a, a, the issue of, of a crema in, in espresso that is one of the most desirable aspects of it. And yes, I was going to mention Andy. You can throw in what my father said about coffee and wine. Please do reiterate. Uh, wine is red, coffee is black. <laughs> in the sense of it's it's the roast, and the words is nero. Yeah, it yeah. is the roast. And I'll tell yeah. you what my mom used to say about coffee. She said she liked her coffee the way she liked her men ground up and stored in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then you like that? In, do you like that after Venice in the drip, or you like it in a, in, in the espresso machine? The, the meat. That is I like it in a mocha. <laughs> I, I was so I was going to mention before when we were talking about Italian coffee is is it was there was this hilarious YouTube thing that people did with it where they went to an Italian bar and ordering American style cat coffee in there. So ordering a latte, they'd say <laughs> you would get you would literally get a cup of milk. Yeah. Saying if you if you want a latte, um, ordering uh, is it still true, Giovanni, that like when you order a cappuccino, a cappuccino is ordered in the morning. You do not order it in the afternoon. Uh, pretty much, yes. Again, depending on the farther south you go, the more they look at you funny if you actually order cappuccino past 11 o'clock in the morning. And you do not uh, order um, it with your meal, which some Americans have been known to It doesn't do. make any sense, guys. I'm sorry, it really doesn't. It's just palatable. It doesn't actually make sense unless you're eating meh. Maybe you're eating some kind of Indian food, um, but no, it doesn't really make any sense if yeah. you're eating Mediterranean food. No, but we do not have as yet the, I don't know, uh, 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 the specifics of the, let's say, Peruvian extra roasted with mint and with the, uh, goat milk with, you know, we just doesn't have it here. It doesn't have, it's not, it's, it's the dude or the woman or the girl in the back who's going to make the coffee good for you. Not if it's triple uh, sunlight, uh, night harvested, with soy milk, two percent skimmed. You're singing my song, Giovanni. <laughs> I've I've lost a lot of business because I don't have some of those things that people like Americans expect in in a coffee shop. And it's, thank God. I've yeah, just, seriously, I don't get it. I I genuinely don't get why they would order essentially Hello, a. Paul, a I, I have no. to say. Paul, this is coming from your from your number one fan. Please do puppuccinos, okay? I bring my. You love our. You love dogs. You let our dogs come in. There's no puppuccinos for the dogs. I've got. To, let me a quick intervention on, on the on the thing outside of Santo Stacchio, which they have the waiters come in, and they always. There are two ways to have coffee, really, in there. It's con o senza. Con is with sugar, a little bit of sugar, and senza without, with con poco. But people then sit in the back. And they always order often cappuccinos. And it's funny because you can see this is the expression of the waiters. <laughs> <laughs> Every time they have a cappuccino. <laughs> because you're supposed to go in MSP, you say con poco, senza o con. Well, Those I've are got, the three ways I've of drinking that coffee. On Paul's That's face. it. When somebody ordered a soy latte, he's just like. <laughs> Well, during this time of year, I have every day two or three requests for the pumpkin spice latte. And <laughs> me, it doesn't uh, exist. <laughs> Tell them Starbucks is just down the street. Yeah, What's your right. pumpkin spice latte. Yeah. And don't like, come back. That's like offering Giovanni a chicken parm. Exactly. Yes. There you go. Thank you. I would never chicken, I would chicken. Never so low. <laughs> chicken parm with a side with of Alfredo, Alfredo. With Alfredo. Yes. yes. <laughs> And a tiramisu martini to wash it down with. Precisely. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. So, so, Paul, so now we're talking about different things that are going on. Paul, can you illuminate us a little bit on trends that you're seeing in coffee? There, yeah, there, there's some some really interesting things happening as from the production standpoint at origin. So the the, the coffee Ooh. growers in a lot of the Latin countries are experimenting with these new. Uh, fermentations that that are going on to really add flavors to the coffee generally there's three types of, of processing at origin okay there's a washed process where the cherry is picked off the tree and it's taken to a mill where the skin is removed by by a pulper 
a pulping machine, and that reveals this thick mucilage that's, that adheres to the seed, known as miel or honey in the Latin countries, and it's real thick gelatinous substance that has to be removed by soaking it in water, where a fermentation takes place, where uh, an enzymatic process occurs, where the, the, the seed is removed from the meat of the, of the of the, the meat of the fruit is removed from the seed, basically. So that's a washed process. Uh, the most antiquated way of processing coffee is a natural process. Like they still do in parts of Ethiopia where they'll pick the cherry off the tree in much the same way and, and set the coffee out on a raised bed, which dries the fruit like a raisin or a prune, mm -hmm. really imparting a nice fruity character to the coffee. Uh, and then there's a kind of a hybrid, which is known as a honeyed process or wet wet milled or, or pulped natural where they'll remove the seed of the of the fruit i mean i'm sorry remove the skin of the fruit leaving that that gelatinous substance that's fermented away in a wash process and they'll dry that part on the on this on the on a raised bed and that's a little bit faster way to dry the the meat of the fruit without the protective layer of skin so it's interesting usually up until very recently coffees were either washed natural or semi-washed now they're doing all these uh, innovative fermentations called uh, carbonic maceration and and uh, uh, what word they use for it. There's another another term for anaerobic anaerobic um, fermentation where they'll put the put the coffee in an enclosed environment free of oxygen, and they'll add mangoes or strawberries or papaya or pineapple to the to the to the water to incorporate. Yeah those flavors in a, in a maceration to like, like macerating strawberries, right? So it'll, mm -hmm. it'll impart those flavors into the coffee and it's wild. There's some really interesting, interesting flavors. Uh, that, sounds, that sounds like people putting pineapple on their pizza. Gross. A little bit. <laughs> this could be yeah, really cool. Like, Personally, I think that could be really cool. It's kind of neat. It's yeah, done with it. a lot of delicacy. Well, the process is interesting, but the thought of having pineapple infused coffee is really yeah, thrilling yeah. to me. As a traditionalist, I have trouble kind of wrapping my 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 uh, yeah my head around it because it it's kind of adding something to a coffee that already should have flavor inherently. And you know, if you want, I can I can get a blueberry a coffee that tastes like a blueberry muffin from Ethiopia that's just naturally blueberry, inherently fruity. You know, because so it, it, because of where it's grown. Right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of a it, it it it's kind of disingenuous almost to have a coffee that tastes like strawberries that really was a really mild coffee to begin with that didn't have a whole lot of character to start with. <laughs> so it's but that's to answer your question, uh, Andy. There's a lot of new techniques that are going uh, in the industry that are that are kind of causing a stir. There's a lot of carbonic maceration happening where they and the people use it as a kind of a a selling point, you know, because it's an mm. interesting cup. That's for sure. But it's, I, uh, I see a similar process happening with brewing. You were mentioning about brewing before, where people were doing a lot of berry infusion into brews. Yeah. And I, I look at it as an IPA guy, and I'm like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want that, but okay, if you like it, yeah. good for you type of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had a, 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 a bacon maple donut once, and it was like, why do you have to have both of those together? Some things should just not go together in this life, yeah. you know? I don't yeah. care how how I don't care how much this what is that process you called it anaerobic things anaerobic go together I know mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah. no yuck yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's almost like a form of using AI in a way I I mean perhaps it's not quite the same comparison but in um, a way I mean you're you're in, you're in, you're putting things into something or you're that you're and you're using it to create something completely that did not exist in nature before that. So, I mean, oh, no. we can argue it's good or bad, but it's, it's, yeah. well, I don't know. Forgive the, the, the thinking is that, uh, I don't know if in the United States, the capsules have, have become dominant. Have they or not? The Keurig little, the, or the uh, Nespresso? Yeah, the capsules. Yeah. Correct. Have they become dominant? In Europe, they've become dominant. Therefore, the notion of first, I'm sorry, they're never that good, but nevertheless, they think it's very good. And now they have very, very innovative where they make interesting things and you get the telephone. It's still not very good. But if you have it, you know, uh, infused with apple and you call it apple mist, apple mountain mist sort of thing, and the market will be there, I think, immediately. I'm assuming yeah. that they have directly, they'll talk to the producer, they'll come in the capsule, 
and and some Swiss shareholders will get richer um, because they'll be able to sell more. Yeah. For, for me, I still... It's, I, it's I, George I, Clooney your guy. Here it's George Clooney and, it's total and George what's Clooney. his face? It's George uh, Danny, Clooney. Danny DeVito. Yeah. <laughs> non, non, yeah, yeah, he was on once, but no, it's George Clooney. He's a 30% yes, boost on, 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 on sales. Didn't Nespresso, yeah. that commercial that he did. That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, have, I have, you know, people that I know that use Nespresso and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, if it works for you, great. I don't like it. <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't, I don't really care for the coffee at all. The Keurig cup is, is a different kind of similar, the K cup. Yeah. Uh, the, the man who even invented that has looked back and regrets. <laughs> That's what Paul told me. Paul, you're the one that, that awesome. opened my eyes to the fact that Keurig pods are are not recyclable, which I was oh, no. horrified nope. to find out. Neither neither Nespresso. Nespresso actually no. was it aluminum Awful. or something, Giovanni? It's bad. It's bad for the No, they've started making things so quote unquote recyclable, but then some journalists actually looked, are they? No, they're not. They still stay in there. They're you can find them on the African coastline. I mean some of or some on, of or them in, are or, like, or in the Starbucks markets their Keurig pods as recyclable, but the thing is that what they don't tell you is that you have to like take the, the the foil wrap off the top, and you have to empty the coffee grounds, and then you have to take out that little paper liner that they put inside of it, and then the little plastic cup itself is recyclable. And I don't have a problem doing it. It takes like what three seconds, but you know there are lazy assholes in this world that are just like, just... oh, I can recycle it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You can do all that in three seconds, Vanessa. Yes, I can. I'll show you sometime. I know. I'm, I impress myself. I'm like, there, done. So there's no excuse for anyone else not to do it. Right. Right. Even though I'm lazy like everybody else, I think that the notion of not opening up the coffee, and then even better if you have it, like like we, we when we grow up, we would get the beans, and then I would sit or with my father, and one of the, the things you recall is the scent as you are, and you're grounding it in the yeah. ground things and yes it's, a, it's very it's so... a very much an emotional kind of sensory type of thing and i remember when you're mentioning about uh guatemala Paul, I, I actually at a time had a friend whose whose uh, father lived in guatemala and he had he had a very small finca he would he and he would he would dry the coffee beans like you were talking about but he would dry them on a like a uh, metal roof right and they and they would cultivate them this was really really small batch right that they were doing and they'd ship them up here in the United States, but it's the whole thing of you smell it, you know, and it's just this wonderful thing to smell. And then you grind it. It's just yeah. sensory overload at that point. It's yeah. So evocative. It really is. Anything else that has that kind of effect, maybe like baking cookies or something where there's, where that smell can really mm -hmm. transport you and really be evocative in that way and, and yeah. really touch on something. Yeah. I was thinking about that this morning before we got logged on. And I was thinking about just my early memories of coffee. And I remember, and Paul, you, might be able to relate to this memory, but my grandparents had a property in the East Mountains, and we used to call it going up to the ranch. And I was remember, you know, it's it's been fixed up now. But when I was a little girl, and we used to go out there, it didn't have a lot of amenities. We had an outhouse for God's sake. And so I'll never forget growing up and like waking up to the smell of my grandmother making coffee in the percolator, like an old school mocha. And she'd always put some fresh green chili on the outside grill. So you'd wake up to the smell of burning pinon wood and coffee percolating and green chili roasting. And to me, like that to me is like the ultimate memory, like, you know, olfactory memory that brings back my childhood. But it's like this memory of like adventure, but also like safety and comfort. But to me, that's my like my mm -hmm. ultimate memory of coffee. Ah, it's beautiful. Love it. Yeah. Well, Paul, it's been a delight. This has been a true education in coffee roasting. We appreciate the time. I mean, very much. Bravo. Ton. Bravo. I'm Thank grateful. you so much. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. True pleasure. Thank you so much, Paul. And I would very much like to make you guys really some carbonara and just whatever, whatever you guys want. And just to watch <laughs> you guys do your job. Sounds yeah. like you're buying a plane ticket, Giovanni. You have uh -huh. some carbonara to make. <laughs> yeah. I think you need to come to Albuquerque and go hang out with Paul. Yes. There you go. You could, yeah, I'm even sure he would even like take you on as like a, a an apprentice. You could be a, a, you could, he could be the lead buddy stun. You could be the sort of like his, like, um, what was that Charles Dickens book? Um, where the, 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 um, David Copperfield or no, um, please, sir, may I have some more, you know, 
Giovanni, you're the literature. I, may, may I have another? That's it. Um, oh, just call me Scrooge. Just call me Scrooge. It's easy. You know, know who I'm talking about. Anyway, so it's it's not David. He can be a ghost. He can be the ghost, and I'll be the Scrooge. Because <laughs> you're never the Scrooge. Never. <laughs> being, being, being. Thank you again. Keeping it's that up and out. Thank you very much.